This is now our planet, run by humankind for humankind. There is little left for the natural world. Sir David Attenborough. You're listening to Dr. Cliff on the Dr. Cliff podcast. Be kind to our planet. Be kind to its wildlife. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dr. Cliff on the Dr. Cliff podcast. We've got an exciting guest on our show today. She is a wildlife educator, a traveling Hello. zookeeper, an ER vet assistant. She calls herself a reptile hobbyist, but I think she's a little bit more serious for being a hobbyist. Some know her as Natasha Von Richter. And other know, others know her as Red from Red's Fauna Verse. Welcome to the show, Red. Hello. <laughs> Very exciting. There you go. So uh, which do you prefer, Natasha or Red? Uh, you can call me Natasha. Um, most people usually will just call me by my real name. <laughs> I'm so uh, not used to, I guess, people calling me uh, just Red yet. But I tell people to call me that if they can't remember my name because the red hair. <laughs> I guess makes it make it makes it simple. And I mean, that's your Instagram and your Twitter handle is Red's Fauna Verse. Yeah, that's, just uh, remember that's me. Quite a, uh, that's quite a cool kind of combination of names. Uh, obviously, I understand where it comes from, but why don't you tell the listeners? All right. So um, behind the name, uh, Fauna Verse uh, kind of confuses people when I first talk them it i have to spell it out for them and then they're like oh um but um originally i had it as red's flora faunaverse and it was a bit too long so i condensed it to just faunaverse because i really mostly just focus on the animals um but uh fauna flora and fauna as you may know it's um all the animal and plant life in a specific uh, geographical location so it just refers to any sort of plant and animal life which is just anything i'm interested in and your your fauna versus your uh you got a whole whole sort of room dedicated in your house for all your uh cool little pocket pets and reptiles yeah, so my mother let me have a reptile room a few years ago. I was very surprised by that. We had a spare bedroom, and originally um, it was just like um, a room just to hold like tools and stuff. Like, uh, what would you call that? Uh, storage room. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. So it was originally just a storage room. And then my grandmother moved in and we were renovating the basement for her. So it became a spare bedroom for my grandmother. Um, just in the meantime, while the basement was being renovated. And then when she moved downstairs, it was empty. And I was like, mom, you know, I have uh, some animals in my room. It'd be great if they could have a room to themselves. Um, and she was a little iffy about it at first, but eventually she did give me the room and she she was always iffy about me bringing new animals home, and I'd sneak them in at first, and then I'd kind of tell her about them after. But eventually I got her to say, I don't care how many animals you have. Because I think at some point she realized, like, this was my passion, it's my hobby, uh, it's my life. So um, she let me expand on that, and it is what it is now. Wow. How many animals do you have? I think I have about 23, of, uh, 23 animals as of right now oh my goodness what is uh i mean they're they're mostly reptiles right yeah most of them are reptiles but i am looking to expanding a little bit to a few different things but i mostly stick with the reptiles yeah 
Gotcha. What is your, uh, what's your first? My, uh, what's the oldest, what's the oldest one that you have right now? My oldest one that I have right now, like that I've had personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the animal that I've had the longest, I guess, is my rabbits. Um, my rabbit, uh, Simba, he's turning seven years old this year. Mm. And I've had him for about uh, five or six years of that lifetime of his. So um, they were one of my first animals. Yeah, the bunnies. Do you have the bunnies in the same room with the snakes? Yes, so that does uh, definitely spark some interest with people, and um, I get worried that other people get a little concerned about it, but the snakes that I keep are not big enough to eat my rabbits. Um, they could be big enough to harm my rabbits, but um, the snakes are never reactive to the rabbits, and they're kind of at opposite ends of the room, so the rabbits don't like go up to the snake cage and mingle at it. They stay far away um but um snakes stay in their cage right so they're not going to be coming out and uh mm. eating my bunnies or anything it's sometimes hard enough to get them to eat their food alone <laughs> <laughs> they're probably like, uh they're probably smelling the bunny on you every once in a while though and going just hey that smells pretty good but a little too big for me yeah a little too big and they're all a lot of my snakes are scaredy cats to be quite honest uh you boop them on the nose with like a dead rat and they're like uh, do they do any of them uh eat live rats uh none of my stuff eats live as of right now um i prefer it that way just for personal reasons my mother would be giving me so much of a hard time if i brought a like live rat or mouse home all the time she would be like oh it's so cute i want to save it or something <laughs> and no. they are pretty cute too i don't want to have to do that if i don't have to the uh I'm just thinking about this now. I wonder if snakes and reptiles, like let's say snakes, because they're eating mice and whatnot. I wonder if a snake that's too small to eat one of your bunnies sort of understands that. Like, is there some sort of almost like genetic code that gets tr gets passed on from snake to snake and that they, they're only attracted to the smell of mice or rats or crickets, well, for the lizards? You know, like something that's in their wheelhouse of, of size. That's really interesting, yeah. Um, what I personally know about when it comes to snakes and um, them eating meals that are too big for them is that they can actually sometimes eat meals that are too big for them. And that's why I said my rab uh, my snakes can't eat my rabbits, but they can harm them. So, um, for example, um, a friend had an incident one time where their snake got out and they found the snake inside their hamster cage. Um, the hamster was dead. Unfortunately, the snake had strangled it. But then what the snake does is that it tries to eat it, realizes, oh, this meal is too big for me. And then they'll spit it out. Um, sometimes they will actually try to eat a meal that's too big for them. Um, I believe in the wild there has been incidences of like large snakes eating large prey that they just couldn't keep down and actually having them like explode <laughs> um, yeah. and having that to prey item just kill them as well. Um, so for the most part, uh, I'm not too concerned as long as all my cages are locked up and I'm super uh, okay with that. I've never had a snake get out on me yet. Yeah, yet. it won't happen. You're right. Uh, I'm super paranoid. 
I, I try to be. I definitely try to be responsible. You know, sometimes there has been like a latch or something that I left, but never like left the door open. But again, knock on wood, it could happen to anybody. Now, I was reading on your uh, your Instagram post, your bunny rabbit had a CT scan recently. What happened? Yes. So my rabbit CT scan, um, my rabbit for the past, oh, man, I think it's been like two years had this upper like chronic respiratory problem and um it progressively got worse actually over the years um as soon as the symptoms showed i brought him to the vet and um i can't remember what we did the first few times because it was so long ago but i believe we put him on maybe some sort of medication at first like maybe just some antibiotics i'm not too sure Mm -hmm. to see what it would do and it didn't help so when I brought him back, we started him on uh, penicillin shots. So um, they had me give him uh, penicillin quite regularly. Like, I think we started off with doing it like once or t- twice a day. And then next week I would go to every other day. And eventually it was going to me giving him these penicillin shots about once or twice a week for maintenance. And at first it kind of worked. But the symptoms didn't completely go away, and they told me that the symptoms might not completely go away, and they suspected a pasturella, which Mm -hmm. um, is pretty common in the rabbits, um, gets passed on from their mother to the babies, Um, and I was like, all right, well, let's, you know, see if he's got that. So um, I believe they did um, a swab on his nose, and it did come back negative, and they said it could just be much deeper in his nasal cavity and i was like okay um so we changed up i believe the penicillin routine a little bit but after a while he started to get worse and the symptoms became so bad that he started making these sneezing noises and the sneezing noises were super congested like i don't know how to describe just noise a bunny should not make (laughs) and i got that on video actually and i'm going to be doing a video on my rabbit ct scan and uh talking all about that um but I had enough finally, and I was like, I want to get to the bottom of this. So he already had seen two veterinarians at the um, vet that I originally went to, and I wanted to try a different one. One was a little bit more money, so I went to check them out, and um, they did, again, more uh, swabs up in his nose. They did more cultures, and um said that they were going to send him off to the Ontario Veterinary College for a CT scan. And I asked them, I was like, is there anywhere closer? And they said, it's the only place that does uh, CT scans on exotics. And I was like, all right, well, I know Guelph and all that is kind of the place where a lot of the vet stuff and everything is located. So I had to um, book that. And that was almost two months away um, when they booked me. I was like, man, I have to listen to my poor bunny make these noises and I just feel so helpless. I just stopped the medication completely and um, just waited for the CT scan. So eventually the CT scan came and um, I had to have um, a friend's friend actually drive me out there. I have to pay him to do that. And um, he had the CT scan and they found that in his nose they found that there was um a lot of inflammation and stuff like that and um they suspected i guess some sort of infection inside his nose um i forget what the name is called rhinitis or something 
Yeah, which, well, I mean, that just means inflammation of the sinuses, essentially. Yeah. The, the fancy word for inflammation, so I wasn't too far off. But yeah, they just found some inflammation in his nose, and um, they gave me some medication, I believe some aloxicam, and one other type of drug that I can't remember at the moment, it is in my room, but mm-hmm. he was on it for not even a month, and it's completely been cleared up and i am like amazed i am absolutely i haven't heard him make one sneeze noise at all and his uh, personality did a 360 he wasn't coming outside of his cage he was very you know inside his hidey huts didn't want to interact with you now he's like jumping up out at me and he's interacting with the other two rabbits again and he's running all about and it happens so slowly over time that i almost didn't notice it until my mother kind of pointed out at me. She was like, you know, he's been spending a little bit more time in the condo. I was like, you know, you're kind of right. He hasn't been himself and, ah, man, like this is getting worse. Not, not, can I just hear it? But you know, his uh, personality and everything as well. So um, he also, while they did the CT scan, found that he had his uh, back molars there overgrown. Um, In the past, I believe I was told he had a malocclusion, so his jaw isn't aligned properly. Okay. So when he eats food and stuff, um, as you know, the teeth um, aren't aligned, so they're not grinding each other down. So his complete back molars there were overgrown. And I got some pictures of that too. That were really cool. I posted wow. on the story the before and after. Cause you just see these massive inside like these massive molars in the back. And then um the next picture they're just completely gone. And he had it done once before and that was four years ago in 2017. Um but um Hopefully he won't need it again, but he could live another four years um, and could need it done again. So I am prepared yeah. for that. Yeah, that'll be a nice. It'll be a nice problem to have if he uh, if he lives a good life that long. How long has he been off the medication and symptom free? Um, he's only been off the medication for maybe like a week and a half, two weeks okay. now. Um, gotcha. Not too long. So um, I'm still kind of waiting it out um but at least uh i called the vet and i asked her some questions and she said that at least we know now that he is reactive to this medication and that we can give it to him again and i also asked her um was the ct scan the best way to have diagnosed this you know because it was very expensive um i did save up for it um and she said, yep, it was the only way to really have uh, diagnosed this um, because of soft tissues and stuff. That's what CT scans are for, x-ray imaging, except bones, so you can't really uh, see that. So I was very happy that I made the right decision and that um, it was worth it in the end. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know much about rabbits, even though, I mean, I graduated in 98, and my plan was to do some exotic animal work as well as cats and dogs. Uh, and when we, I graduated from OBC, uh, one of the best vet colleges in the world. Um, so we're very lucky that we can have it so close to us here in Toronto, but, mm-hmm. uh, just things didn't work out with my first job. They didn't do any sort of pocket pets or exotic animals. So I kind of forgot a lot of things about bunnies, but one of the things I did remember, and I still remember after 24 years, uh, which may be before you were born when I graduated. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I was born born in 97. Ah, nice. All right. I got it. I got it by a year. 
Good. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do remember, I mean, when, when bunny rabbits come in with sniffly, drippy, gooey noses, it's primarily a condition we call snuffles, um, which obviously is not a, a, a scientific term, but it's a pastorella infection. And so the, the, the first vets, I mean, although they, they ended up, you know, diagnosing it incorrectly, they were, they were playing the odds, which is always the, the smartest thing to do. You know, um, yeah. we have a saying, I'm going to assume it's in the vet world. It may, there's probably a similar saying in the human medicine world, but I, I seem to think that everything revolves around the veterinary medicine world. But our saying is, is if you hear horses, don't go looking for zebras. So <laughs> you kind of, you kind of pick the common things, right? Um, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's incredible. I wanted to, I'll give you a little, uh, us veterinarians like to sound a lot smarter than we are. And, and so do, so do human doctors. So that's why we use words like rhinitis. And here's a little sort of trick. If it ends in itis, it just means inflammation, right? So arthritis is arthros is Latin for joint. So it's inflammation of the joint and uh, gingivitis, inflammation of the gingiva. And in uh, your bunny rabbit's case, rhinitis, rhino, or I don't know the, I think it's rhinos, is rhino, like the animal, is nose. Um, so, you know, if they ever, if someone ever says, oh, that's a, that's a horrible case of dermatitis, that's just a skin rash. <laughs> like it's, you know, so we like to, uh, we like to make it sound fancy and uh, uh, it just makes us, feel like real doctors. <laughs> I know I'm with a lot of the interns that are at the vet I work at. Uh, they're, they're really funny because you get to actually see like how human a lot of the vets are, of course. <laughs> and the vet, I, the vet uh, place I work at, there's a lot of brilliant veterinarians that work there. Um, I'm not too sure if you know where, do you know which veterinarian I work at? No, you can give them a shout out. That's cool. You probably have referred your patients to us. I work at the Veterinary Emergency Clinic at downtown Toronto. So uh, specialty ER clinics. So I spent yeah. my time in some of the specialty departments and working in them as well. And um, really like some of the departments. Yeah, I uh, just to show you again, I've been in this career long enough. I remember when VEC, the Vet Emerge Clinic, um, uh, had guys like Craig Miller and, uh, I don't know if Al Norris is still there. Um, but, uh, like I remember when they built that place, when they started it up. So, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't no, look at that old though. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough. I graduated quickly. Let's just say that. Um, uh, and I, I think eating a veg, living a vegetarian lifestyle, uh, keeps me looking young. Uh, that might do oh, it too. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you, uh, you strike me as a vegan. As a vegan, it's probably, um, I like a lot of vegan food. Um, I do eat a lot of vegan food because of a lot of like food intolerances and stuff that mm. I have with like health problems. But, um, uh, I'm mostly like I'm vegetarian and I'm mostly pescatarian, I guess. But I tell yep. people I'm vegetarian because if I tell them I'm pescatarian, they always want to give me fish, and I don't like fish that much. Like I eat it like once or twice a month. That's it, and I only eat like 
salmon, tuna, whitefish. Like I don't eat octopus or clams or crab or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't like that. Just just the one little salmon once in a while is all I yeah. really have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you. That's uh, yeah. I eat, I eat the occasional fish, so I guess I'd be I'd be a pescatarian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's you know both the nutritional. I'm a I'm an unusual vegetarian in the sense of I have no problems with hunting, and um, uh, and and not only because I recognize the conservational sort of benefits of hunting and if it's done properly and and respectfully. My big problem with eating let's say it's, it's factory farming. Like it's, it's the, the lifestyle that the animal lived prior to being slaughtered. You know, um, I do a lot of traveling as, as you probably know, not right now, obviously. Um, and if I were, uh, you know, if one day I find myself in, uh, you know, South Africa somewhere and they've got a tiny little, uh, sort of backyard farm, and there's a goat there that is literally keeping these these people alive and healthy. And after X number of years, and the goat has reached its final days, and it's uh, it's it's killed humanely until it you know prior to it getting really sick and and in a lot of pain. Uh, I would I would probably eat that goat, other than the fact that it might upset my stomach because I'm not used to it. But, uh, yeah. Um, so that that's kind of that that's kind of the situation, but. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad. That's a that's quite a story with your bunny rabbit. Good for you. I mean, uh, you a, a lot of people don't understand, and and even you know a lot of my listeners and my clients who are cat and dog owners, they they don't understand the the companionship that a bunny rabbit or even a reptile can give, and just because they they think of you know a snake's not going to cuddle on your lap and a snake's not going to go fetch your slippers. Um, and a bunny rabbit's not going to go fetch your slippers, but, uh, you can still become really good friends and they can still mean a lot to you. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that people don't realize is that animals, like they simply exist because we wish them to. And since we wish them to exist, it should be our responsibility to make sure they're happy and healthy and okay. Rabbits and stuff, uh, a lot of the time, the feedback I was getting, even from my, my family, um, I wasn't getting any help from them. My mother didn't want to drive me all the way out to uh, Guelph for the CT scan because she goes, it's just a rabbit. Mm. And I was just like, it's not just a rabbit. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand why people put a certain value towards one animal more than the other. Um, you know, I, I guess, I don't know if it's like intelligence level of the animal or something, but if you want to say it's something like that, then I could argue about how a rabbit, um, is almost similar to a pet dog or cat. Uh, the rabbit can live 10 plus years on average, if properly, you know, given the proper care and everything, which is almost the lifespan of like a large dog. Large dogs will live about, you know, 10 plus years. I just put my dog down around Christmas and he was 13 years old, 14 years old. Big, um, big Jack the Husky. Yeah, yeah. And um, my dogs in the past, uh, my mom's dogs in the past, I should say, um, have all lived to like the ages of 10 years old as well. Um, Larger breeds, they don't live as long. 
so the rabbit i'm like okay one it lives just as long as a dog or cat can okay not a cat a dog let's say <laughs> um it can live as long as a cat a dog can it it's just as emotional as a dog or cat like they interact with you um they run up to me when i come into the room they want to be patted they when i pat them they do react like they chatter their teeth uh kind of like what rats do when they're happy they yeah. chatter their teeth and um it's super adorable and then i'll just keep patting them and i know that they're happy and um you can train rabbits uh to use litter boxes um you can even train them to do tricks if you are really patient and want to work with them my rabbits can't do any tricks uh, but you can um if you want to i've seen people do it online so it's got a lot of the elements of like a dog or a cat if you ask me so i don't know why people don't value them i guess because people uh, bunch them uh into like hamsters and stuff people think they're rodents right mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess that that could be said regarding any animal, right? Like there are people out there who don't understand dogs sleeping in our beds and and don't understand dogs coming into coming into the house. You know, um, uh, my wife is Greek and her father grew up in the old country and he loved his dog very much. But the dog had a job to protect the chickens and. You know, he, he cared for the dog, and when the dog passed away, he was sad, but it was mostly because he was living by himself, and that, and now his one sort of friend that he talked to uh, and didn't mm -hmm. talk back, which I think he appreciated, um, <laughs> had passed away. You know, a couple of generations ago, people would never even imagine that dogs are, are, are as important in our lives as they are now. If you talk to a veterinarian who's... So I'm in my late 40s. If I talk to a veterinarian who's 20 years older than me and, you know, we're dealing with thousands of dollars for dental cleanings and to, to extract some teeth, they will talk about when they graduated in the early 80s that there was zero conversation about that. And no way did they even, you know, consider that this would be the level of care that we're giving our, our dogs and cats. So I think it's just the rabbits and the reptiles and the pocket pets are just, they're just the next, the next generation. They're just kind of one, one more generation away to people, us humans finally becoming enlightened and realizing, oh, you know, just because they don't necessarily come to their, to their uh, name, though your guys do, and a lot of rabbits will, they're still intelligent, you know, heck octopus. I mean, those things, those things are geniuses. They are intelligent animals, uh, very, very intelligent animals, uh, which is one of the many reasons why I, I won't eat them. Just like yeah. you, I won't eat them. You, give, your, give your mom a break, cut her some slack. What you got to do is you got to work on your grandmother. If you can get your grandmother loving your pets, she'll teach your mom to, <laughs> to start loving your pets. Oh, my, my mom was the one um, that originally sparked my interest in wildlife and animals. Like every time um, as a kid, 
uh, we'd go to the zoo and um, we'd always be out walking and hiking in nature. Uh, she always had Animal Planet playing in the background. Currently, Hope for Wildlife has been playing in the background of my house recently. Um, she she loves all those kinds of shows. She loves like all those rehabilitation shows and vet shows and uh, loves the animals herself as well. Um, arguably, I think like we all like animals sometimes better than people. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's what originally sparked my interest in animals, watching all those TV shows and stuff. Um, oh, like Zaboomafu. Zabu- Does anybody oh, remember? The Zabu, the best. Yes, the Krat Brothers. The Krat um, Brothers, they, yeah. Uh, what is it? They have wild Krats now, um, I guess is the new uh, new thing that they have. But it's all in uh, all in good taste for wildlife and conservation. And you were lucky enough to meet Hope. Yes, I was very lucky to meet Hope. Um, that was awesome. Um, I was out in Nova Scotia doing some work with my zoo. Um, that's the portion of being the traveling zookeeper. They sent me out to different provinces to set up our mobile exhibit. But um, while we were out there in Nova Scotia, my mom and everybody else was very adamant that we all go for to hope for wildlife. And my mom's like, oh, if you go, like, please take pictures for me. Like, I love hope and all the work she does. And I was like, okay, mom, we'll, we'll see if we go and if we have time. So we had some downtime while we were out in Halifax. So we drove out to Hope for Wildlife um, a little in the evening and we got to uh, see the property and uh, take a little behind the scenes tour. And she was there herself um, with, uh, I forget what that um, creature of hers is at the moment. Um, Gretel is the name, I think, of the animal. But yeah uh, and that was very lovely to meet her and i even got her to give a little video and shout out to my mom because i said that my mom's a huge fan um so that was like amazing opportunity to have had she's uh she's done a lot to to inspire uh people without a doubt she's good friends with uh the woman who runs uh shades of hope the wildlife rehab that i volunteer with once a week um, so we're constantly talking about, uh, the latest episode, um, and what happened. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. I don't watch a lot of, I really don't watch any vet shows, Dr. Paul or Bondi vet or anything like that. Um, cause I kind of know what's going on and, you know, two seconds later, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's going to have surgery and they're going to take out the stone and this is what it's going to be. Um, but I really like hope for wildlife because it's just. The challenges are different and 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 the uh the animals are just so spectacular yeah it's it's amazing and then also like hope's personality as well like she's so compassionate towards like the animals and caring she's literally like given herself to this so i thought that was like just amazing to have met her and uh, seen all of those animals like seals and stuff that mm-hmm. were in bathtubs being uh, rehabilitated and i was like oh my goodness like one day this little guy's gonna go back out into the wild it's so there nice to think of um but you mentioned shades of hope i remember um a few years ago i i believe i've brought in a few like wildlife uh, rescues to them in the past so that's why the name rings a bell i usually bring any sort of rescues to either them or uh toronto wildlife mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shades of Hope is pretty amazing. I started volunteering there two and a half years ago with zero wildlife experience. I didn't even, I didn't pin, like I had zero orthopedics experience. I'm a really good soft tissue surgeon, but I don't, I don't fix broken bones, but they needed a veterinarian and I needed, I wanted some experience for my, my worldly travels that I go and volunteer around the world. And, uh, within about a month, so four visits, they kind of said, Hey, we like your cowboy attitude that you're willing to try and you're reading the book and you're figuring things out. And now I go every single Friday and, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've pinned a lot of broken legs now and broken wings and, uh, birds. And we released a ball. Well, actually the bald Eagle that we fixed up is getting released on Sunday in Niagara Falls. So I'm going to go and, uh, go check that out and, and, and get to watch uh, this bald eagle named Wolf finally fly high in the sky after having a broken uh, upper arm, broken or wing uh, bone, the humerus bone. So it's been, uh, it's an amazing place. Like these wildlife rehab places, um, it's interesting. I think they're all run by women because I yes. think the women have a a sort of an equal level of, compassion and intelligence and also stubbornness that they're willing to say, I know everyone is telling me this is crazy, but I'm going to start this rehab place and, uh, and I'm going to make it work and solve these problems. I I think, uh, I think us men would probably give up a little bit quicker, uh, than, uh, than the women who are committed to doing it. I could see you doing something like that one day. I, you know, I have no clue what I want to do one day um, with these animals. Like, I know I want to do something and I, I want to be somebody. I don't want to waste my life away. Like if I do a job, I want to feel like, um, you know, my, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Sorry, I've lost the word. Like you're calling. Um, it's like my calling. It's, it's more than just my calling. Like I want my life to have purpose. There we go. You know, um, me selling books in a bookstore doesn't feel like I have too much purpose or just selling clothes in a clothing store. I don't know what people, what makes them drive, what makes them go, but animals and wildlife and that, like, there's just so much to learn and, uh, places to go and people to meet. And, um, I just want to teach people about all these things that I learn. And every time I learn something new, I'm like, Oh man, like why don't people know about this? Like, I just feel that people need to know about these things that are happening in our natural world and people need to be more self-aware of themselves and, you know, the impacts they have on uh, our planet. And, and you don't think, uh, you don't think this is your purpose. You don't think you're living a life of purpose right now. It sounds like you are. Uh, it, it's been a little hard. Um, it's been like a, a bit of a roller coaster ride with um, this being my calling. I actually originally went to school to be an artist, <laughs> um, okay. a visual artist. Uh, I actually went to OCAD University for a while. Wow. Um, I wanted to be an illustrator and I went to a specialized art high school as well that was um have to audition to get into. So I went there and I got kind of a kickstart with art. And um, when I was in first year university, a lot of the stuff they were teaching, I was already very familiar with. And, but it wasn't that it was hard. It was just like, 
something didn't feel right. And I was like, I wanted to be an artist my whole life, but I was having some problems at home and um, I just wasn't doing too well. My grades were dropping and I just dropped out and I was like, Ugh, okay, now what? <laughs> I don't know. I have no plan. I just know that this is what I had to do. I was getting way too stressed and way too overwhelmed. I'm like, something's not right. Like I shouldn't be feeling like this so overwhelmed. So I was like, you know what, let's just drop this and just rethink things for a second. And I talked to some very like, what I would say is more like brilliant, knowledgeable people. And somebody had told me that they went to college university right after high school. It was like the biggest mistake they made. Um, Mm -hmm. They weren't entirely sure what they wanted to do and they got bad grades just like I did. And they ended up dropping out. And then they said they went back to school later in life, like later in their 20s, when they had worked a bit and kind of, I guess, got a taste of the world and um, found either their calling or passion and went back to school for whatever it was and ended up getting like uh, great grades and um, finally had some schooling. So I don't know exactly what I want to do with like, again, these animals and my life, but I want it to be purposeful and I definitely want to share this passion with other people and the love and appreciation for animals and um, more so than anything, educate people on these animals as well to uh, raise awareness. Wow, that's amazing. You've got, uh, I, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. You're, uh, you're a young woman who knows well, regardless if you're a woman or not, you're a young person who knows at least the direction that you want to go in. You may not know what the final destination is. And once you figure that out, exactly the route to get there. But you're pointed in the right sort of compass direction, I think, for your heart and for your mind. And that's a that's a rare thing. Uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, you got to be about 25 if you're born in 97, uh, 23, 24. Um, uh, most people your age, even if they've graduated from university, they still don't really know what they want. Um, and I think they're just hoping that they selected the right, the right field. Um, uh, I graduated when I was 24. I was a baby when I graduated. Uh, but I was in an unusual situation. I was married for three years when I graduated at 24. Yeah, it was it was pretty unusual. Um, it lasted a very good 21 years. Uh, I love my ex-wife very much. Uh, we raised three wonderful children. Um, uh, but I mean, like we were too young, right? Like it was just it's just uh, I was just lucky that 20 years later, I still love uh, 24 years later. I still love the, the career that I chose for myself when I was 18. I mean, if you think about it. Asking, asking a person at 17 or 18 years old, even if they're considered an adult at 18, they're really not an adult. You know, no. they're, we're dummies at 18. You know, I'm still learning stuff. And, you know, I'm going to look back 15 years from now. I'm going to look back at me at 47 and go, ah, you were a dummy then. You didn't, you didn't understand life, you know? So, uh, uh, I think, I think, uh, I think you did. It sounds like you did the right thing. You got out of, uh, you know, you had this great program that allowed you to practice your creativity. Did you graduate from Cothra? Is that was that the school you went to? 
No, uh, it was uh, a university. The, uh, it's no, the no, but the high school, the high school one. Oh, the high school. Uh, the high school one was actually Wexford Collegiate School for the uh, Arts. Yeah, um, I don't know that one. All right. My, uh, uh, I have a lot of friends who graduated from Cawthra, uh, which is a school of the arts. My daughter graduated from Unionville uh, here in uh, in the Markham area uh, as mm-hmm. a, a, in the dance program. No, sorry, in the theater program. Um, so we got a lot of, a lot of arts, uh, a lot of arts people in the family, but, um, you know, yeah, I think it's unusual for us to, uh, expect that, you know, we're going to pick a career at 18 and then mm-hmm. be with it for 40 more years. Yeah. No. You know, um, you know, so, but you, you're, uh, you're, you're a pretty inspiring young lady. You've got, you got a smart head on your shoulders and, and, and you're, uh, Right now, you're going in a direction that is clearly right for you, and I think the future is going to be pretty bright. Oh, thank you. Well, I hope yeah. so. Again, the roller coaster just needs to level out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You've had a lot of uh, you've had a lot of health issues, and and you gave me the okay to kind of uh, sort of talk briefly about it. I mean, they were thinking you had Lyme disease for a while. Oh man, I don't even know what they think I have now. Um, so I guess a little background on my health. Um, I've been chronically ill for like a year now, a little over a year. Um, before that, um, I was living my best life and, um, I actually struggled in the past with like a lot of mental health problems and depression and, um, borderline personality disorder and those kinds of things. And I finally felt like I had a grip on it. And when I started working uh, with these animals and it started taking me places and I started working at my zoo job, um, it was like a total 360. I just felt like like it's where I was meant to be. The people I worked with were amazing. Uh, I got along well with a lot of them and uh, became friends with a lot of these people. And I found so many of them really like inspiring and intelligent and brilliant. So like, I would love to just shut up and just like listen to them talk. And a lot of them have like a lot of um, scientific background. So zoology and like, um, biology backgrounds and stuff so they talk a lot of big science things and i might not always know what they're talking about but it's always interesting to just listen um to people like that but anyway um we're getting off topic there for a second so with my zoo job um it lifted my confidence a lot and i started to do performances uh where i would do um educational presentations for uh an audience usually of about 20 to 100, sometimes more people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was something I always wanted to do. Um, with my first animal job, I used to just be the cage cleaner. So I just would uh, clean all the animals. And I did that for three years. And I would see the wildlife educators come in and take the animals. And I'd be like, oh, it'd be so cool to, you know, be the person teaching people about all these amazing animals and presenting it to them and also being able to work with the animals themselves. So moving on, when I finally went uh, to my zoo job, they started me on some smaller animals, then worked my way up to the bigger animals and um, eventually um, I was holding some bigger birds of prey and uh, did uh, one of my first presentations was actually with an owl 
And I really wanted to present. And I thought I was finally confident enough to present because when I was uh, just talking to people, um, guests just on the floor and stuff at our exhibit, it was easy for me to talk to them. So I was like, okay, I can do a presentation. Just talk to the audiences if you're just talking to another person. And I got up there and I was like, this is an owl. Owls <laughs> turn their head 360 all the way around <laughs> and it was just horrible and I actually had to stop and I was like okay and my co-worker is going to take over now and it was horrible it was the worst thing ever but um over time they kept pushing me they're like just keep doing it you did a good job you did a good job even if I didn't get a, didn't do a good job they still tell me I did a good job and eventually um I gained my confidence and I started creating these presentations um and remembering them and then, you know, putting my own personality into them. And eventually it was just almost like second nature to get up on stage and just present any animal that somebody could give to me on stage. And that was amazing. I just never thought I would do something like that. And then on top of that, to be able to travel my country, uh, Canada is a beautiful country people don't realize how beautiful it is the country that we live in um, I was able to visit majority of the provinces um, minus the um, west coast and the um, territories when I would go to these places we would always do little outings as well uh, wherever our mobile exhibit was uh, stationed to be set up for that weekend so um, we'd go to different cities and when we would do that we'd go out in nature and um, go check out the mountains in Alberta. I went to Lake Louise last year and that was amazing. Um, I've been to the hoodoos. I've seen the ocean and the uh, East Coast. And it's just, I feel so blessed to have been able to see all of that before I got sick. And I just can't help but think that last, well, I guess, two years now, um, the last big thing that I did is I went to Lake Louise and I actually had some venom training uh, done out in uh, the west western provinces in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So I had some venom training uh, done, which was amazing. And we went to Lake Louise uh, while I was getting that training done. And I went with some other coworkers as well. And we climbed for one hour uphill to uh, the tea house and mm. had some and biscuits and uh climbed down and i saw lake louise and i was like i never thought i would ever see the mountains like it, it was always a dream for me to see the mountains and lake louise shortly after i came back though um i got sick it was about three months later i came back in september i believe or june july no i came back in july and in October, I started to notice that I was losing weight and I wasn't entirely surprised um, because when I travel the zoo, they pay for our meals. So they kept me pretty well fed. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm back home and I'm working at the vet again. And those are very long hours, uh, the 12 hour shifts at the ER vet. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm just burning some calories. Um, but then by Christmas time of 2019, um, I started to lose my appetites and I remember eating my Christmas Eve dinner um, at uh, the keg actually. Um, and my mom's friend was like, you really don't look like you want to eat that. Um, then in January of 2020 is when kind of things 
just shit hit the fan basically yeah. i was uh ready to go out and work for the zoo again uh the zoo is seasonal work so it's uh mostly from the winter from january until may and we were uh out in the east coast i think for one month in january and when I had went to my friend's house to stay over before we departed that night to go to the East Coast uh, with my zoo crew, um, I stepped on her scale and saw that I was now 116 pounds and I was previously 135. It's like, that's a, a lot of weight that I've lost there. Okay. You know, when I come back from this trip, I'm going to go to my doctor. But, you know, I'm gone for like three weeks. So uh, three weeks now has gone by and um, I got really, really sick um, in January. It seems that I had caught some sort of flu. I, I was in Halifax, I remember, actually, when I had gotten sick. And it seems that I gotten some sort of flu. And it was like no other flu I'd ever gotten before. I had become very sick and very weak and um, I was feverish and um, my coworker was like, you don't look too good. I'm actually going to bring you to the hospital. Um, so she brought me to the hospital and um, they were just like, oh, you just have like a virus of some sort. Just here's some medication. Um, but I came home and my mother had cried because um, I was so sick, um, I had been vomiting and had every single horrible symptom that you could have from a flu. And I had lost even more weight from being sick, um, from getting that virus. And when I'd come home, my mom was in shock and she cried because I was really skinny. Um, like I had lost like 15, 20 pounds in that one month alone that I was gone and she was just in shock. So that's when all the doctor's appointments started and symptoms progressively got worse. I would have these attacks. The first attack I ever had was in March. And these attacks, I don't know how to describe them. Um, there's something happens to my brain and my body. Um, I become in, in immense amount of pain in my stomach, um, profuse vomiting where I just don't stop like every five, 10 minutes, I'd be puking up again until there's nothing more. The bile comes up. And this happened when I was in New Brunswick, my first attack. And again, I was with my zoo crew and we had just arrived in New Brunswick and it was like 5 a.m. And um, I thought that I was just really hungry and really tired, but just something wasn't right. And it just progressively got worse. And they brought me to the hospital and actually um, my boss, the vice president of the zoo was there and um, he had brought me to the hospital and I had gotten so bad on the way to the hospital that he had to put me in a wheelchair from his car to the hospital. And I was very lucky that there was nobody in the ER that morning um, and they saw me within 30 minutes. Um, and I was in so much pain and they didn't know what was wrong with me that they put an IV in me and they just kept shooting me up with morphine. Um, I would knock out, pass out finally from like some relief of the pain. And then I'd wake up again in pain and then they would just come back with another shot of morphine. And my boss was there and he was just shocked as well. It just was like, what the heck is going on? And, um, 
they originally thought I had Crohn's disease, but I kept having these attacks and attacks and attacks. And eventually my last attack was June 15th of last year. And then they just stopped. But a lot of the other symptoms still continued. And a symptom that I've been um, very concerned about actually has been with my head, uh, my brain. I feel like it's been deteriorating and I've been trying to express it to the doctors that there's like something going on in my head or maybe there's not and it's just all in my head. I don't mm. know. Mm. There's, there's something um, like I, I keep on telling them like about possible like psychosis episodes that I might be having or other um, mental health issues and just things that at very onset, just everything was so onset, the weight loss, the sickness, the deteriorating in my brain. It's been a big struggle for me. And the only thing that's been getting me through this is now relating back to why we're all here, the animals. Mm. Um, the animals are the only thing that's been getting me through this nightmare that I've woken up to. Um I really geared myself towards them, not just because of like COVID um, with everybody staying home, but because when COVID happened, everybody was kind of forced to stay home like I was. I became bedridden for like a few months, to be honest, where I wasn't working um, at all. And I would stay in bed and not move for days. Um, it was just horrible. So the only thing I could really do is look after my animals and just, you know, be in that tiny room and just sort of work on that room. And if I felt ill, go sit down, lie down, come back to the animals when I felt better and continue working or looking after them or just watching them or something, you know, something mm -hmm. to keep my mind off of all of this uh, chaos going on around me. So, um, I've been expanding my collection and my room um, because it's been helping me uh, take my mind off of a lot of what's been going on in my life. And it's um, something I've always wanted to do. I'm kind of worried that people are a little concerned about this constant uh, buying of animals and the size of my collection and how it's growing. But it's something I always wanted. It's just now... I finally have the time to do it and now more than ever it's uh serving me well and definitely um I'm glad that I have the time to do this now it's been really helping me get through all this yeah, yeah. well they've become <laughs> they've become your purpose and it shows you why the rabbit is not just a rabbit um that he's a member of your family and and means a lot to you because he got you through all this uh he's helping you and all your animals are helping you get through this tough time yeah sorry i blabbered on a little bit there oh, not um, at all i i can i would have cut you off if it wasn't uh it's important uh it's important to uh to be able to express your feelings and get it off your chest but it's also i think there's going to be people listening to this that are gonna it's gonna help them through some tough times as well i mean we're all dealing with different things, but there are going to be some people out there that are dealing with some, some tough challenges and struggles like you are. So, uh, you know, they're not alone. They know that there's other people out there finding ways to cope and animals sometimes, you know, having something else to, uh, to quote unquote live for, you know, and, and something else that relies on you can, can, can make you feel a lot better. Um, yeah. bring and a smile to your face. Have they done any imaging? 
on your brain, like like a CT or an MRI. So they are um, April 1st on April Fool's Day, because my life's mm-hmm. a joke. Um, I uh. have a neurologist appointment coming up that I'm hoping will um, give me a uh, brain scan of some sort, because actually I just had a doctor's appointment today, <laughs> and um, I was expressing to him about my brain and stuff like that, and he goes, you know, that's for the neurologist, unfortunately. And, um, you know, who knows what it could be. They keep on bringing things up like MS, Lyme's mm-hmm. disease. Uh, I hear cancer sometimes. Um, and I'm just like, is it all in my head? Like, am I just making this up? But there are physical things happening to my body that um, are on these tests. Um, they can see that um, just today I weighed myself. I'm 101 pounds now, so I'm only two pounds away from hitting double digits. Um, So it's like slowly progressing. But um, you said something about how the animals rely on us. And, you know, I was thinking about, about how I guess a lot of people like the animals because, you know, they do rely on us. But for me, I rely on the animals. Like, if it, if these creatures did not exist, like, I don't know where I would be. I don't know what I'd be doing with my life. Um, I don't know, like, just they're, they're so amazing, these animals. They do so much for me. They do more for me than most people. And I don't think people will see that, that there's almost this very strong emotional and spiritual connection that I have to the animals. And um, I'm not like, you know, some crazy sort of vegan that's going to like anthropomorphize the animals and think that my snake loves me and loves cuddles and stuff. I'm sorry if you think your snake likes cuddles, but um, (laughs) you know, those kinds of people that I'm talking about. I mean, as long as the animal's fine, then who cares? (laughs) But um, uh, I realize that the reptiles, they don't love me they don't care about me, but I care about them. Um, the happier the animals are, the happier I am. As you know, that's why I love to give my animals the most optimal space I can, the best habitats possible, the best diets possible, you know, the happier and healthier they are, the happier I am. It's like a reflection of myself in a way. It's almost like art. Um, I love, these animals more than anything yeah yeah i think uh it shows and like i said i think you've i think you've found your purpose you're just second guessing uh you're just second guessing yourself which is okay but uh uh you know focus on your health uh, and focus on keeping those animals happy because it makes you happy um Mm -hmm. but you've definitely found your purpose without a doubt um a few last a few last things and i'm gonna sort of sound like uh protective father figure here um when it comes to taking care of your health uh even the best doctor in the world is going to be a bit overwhelmed they've got thousands of patients to deal with so if you want an mri and an mri is reasonable which certainly sounds like it is you need to sort of put your foot down and take your health care into your own hands and tell your doctor you want an mri a family doctor can't can put in a requisition for an MRI. 
Um, mm-hmm. that is, that is definitely something that can be done. Um, now if, you know, there ends up being a delay and I've had several MRIs for various sports injuries. And there was a time where I was having some strange neurological sort of episodes and they talked about MS and they talked about Lou Gehrig's and they talked about cancer. Um, uh, it ended up being this weird sort of stress event because my family members were sick and whatnot, but um, what you can end up doing is if you, once you get that MRI requisition, it's going to be for months, you know, they're going to, they're going to say you're stable. You're not in critical condition right now. Your MRI is scheduled for two months, but then all you need to do is call the hospital that has that MRI scheduled and tell them, look, I am, I am an unemployed student or I'm an at-home student." Uh, or, or a young person, I can come anytime, one o'clock in the morning, and then every couple of days, you call the same person and you say, Hi, Susan, it's Natasha again. Yeah, I know. I'm just wondering if there's any cancellations. No, no, not yet, Natasha, but we'll let you know. Okay, have a nice day. Like, you be, be polite, be pleasant to Susan or whoever's on the phone. And what's going to end up happening is as soon as there's a cancellation, which happens all the time, they're not going to, this may sound bad because they're not going to give it to the next person. They're going to wait because they know you're going to call every third morning. And as soon as you pick up the phone, hey, Susan, Natasha, they're going to say, honey, I got a surprise for you. Can you be here tomorrow at six o'clock in the morning? And you make sure you're there and you'll get that MRI done a lot faster. Um, the last thing I'd recommend is is seeing someone who specializes in zoonotic diseases. Um, if you haven't done that, speak to your family doctor because you and I were around weird animals, right? Um, uh, and and it it would be understandable that even a really good neurologist, even a really good internal medicine specialist, is not going to understand the parasites and the viruses and the bacteria and the conditions you can acquire from dealing with lizards and snakes and bunnies and then everything at the zoo and on your travels, um, they can miss things. So um, ask for someone who specializes in, in zoonotic diseases, which is diseases that spread from like species to species, animals to people. Yeah. We have to always uh, gown up at the vet and like the isolation gowns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, I have uh, had quite a few MRIs done and imaging done because I've seen quite a few specialists. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see another infectious disease specialist, actually. Um, In the beginning, they did send me to an infectious disease specialist and they tested me for a whole bunch of stuff. I've seen an infectious disease specialist, rehab and physiatry specialist, rheumatologist, psychiatrist. Um, I've seen a kidney specialist, GI specialist, um, gynecologist. Uh, what else have I seen? I think I'm like losing track, to be quite honest. Yeah. The doctors I've seen, and they've all done their own imaging and testing and um Uh, some alternative doctors that my mother wanted me to see as well. Um, You know, I've seen so many of them just in the past year alone, and they've been able to push for a lot of the imaging pretty quickly. So I had like an MRI done at like three in the morning. That was exhausting. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I've had three MRIs done. I've had one CT scan done. I've had quite a handful of x-rays now. Um, lots of ultrasounds of all kind. Um, the only thing they haven't really checked is my head. Right, right. Well, uh, uh, you're going to get there soon. I, I can, I can, I can feel it. You are a uh, an intelligent and inspiring and stubborn in a good way person. Um, so uh, uh, you're going to get through this, and and you have to because you got all these animals that are waiting for you to take care of them. So. Yes, all the animals, the only thing I got, right? Like, right yeah. now, just getting through all this is just, you know, just work on them and focus on them and um, focus on my YouTube channel and um, my content. Um, it's really great. Uh, helps me when I'm ill as well. I started my YouTube channel because I got sick. You know, I was stuck in yeah. bed. And, um, when I was well, I would film. And then I, when I wasn't filmed, uh, feeling well, I would lay in bed and I would just edit the videos when I wasn't feeling well. So I, I kind of got on a bit of a pattern doing that. I'm feeling a little bit better nowadays, but you know, still kind of spend most of my time in bed to be quite honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You'll notice that a lot of my pictures and photos and videos, I am like on the bed or sitting on the floor or something. Yeah. Well, you've been very honest with your, uh, your Instagram account and your Twitter and your uh, definitely your YouTube channel. So I think people are going to be following you to kind of make sure you're okay and see that you're following up with the doctor and you're taking care of your geckos and skinks mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and snakes and bunnies. Um, as we wrap this up, uh, where can people, I'm going to, I'm going to post this on the description as well as the episode, but where can people follow you? Where, the, where can they, kind of keep an eye on the red fauna verse. <laughs> um, I mostly am a big like Instagrammer. So Instagram is where I do post a lot of my, you know, if, if you want to actually keep up to date with my life and everything, um, I post a lot on my Instagram story about, you know, what I'm doing through the day. Um, I post about, you know, um, my days at work. So I'll post about the animals that I'm working with throughout the day. So it's just kind of like, that's how you keep up with me. And then, Second is probably my YouTube channel because that's where I post all my videos. Excellent. Excellent. This is, uh, you've broken the record in, in a good way. This is the longest uh, fun conversation I've had on this, oh, no. uh, on the Dr. Cliff podcast. Oh no. How long is this? Oh, nine, twelve. Look at that. So it's been a, no, no, it's perfect. <laughs> it's been great. It's been, uh, it's, it's been fascinating. And, and obviously I'm sorry to hear about the challenges you're, uh, you're facing, but you're going to come out of this stronger and uh as i said you've you've found your purpose you may not quite realize it but you've clearly found your purpose and i think uh i think the animal world and then therefore the human world is going to be uh much better for it in the long run oh thank you it was really nice meeting you and i'm like super flattered that you even like wanted to have an interview with me so such a nice way to end my evening and i hope i didn't blabber uh, too much. You, 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 and and the other guests, and especially the younger generation, uh, inspire me and remind me what a great uh, career being in the animal health field uh, is. And uh, I, I thank you for it. And we're we're going to keep in touch. Definitely, we'll have you on again, and we'll uh, we'll get to learn about what this finally this this crazy condition is that you have that's not in your head, although it is in your head. And uh, yeah, it'll be nice to one day meet in person and share a drink 
and uh, toast to uh, everyone's health and future, all right? Oh, yes, that'd be so nice. Well, I hope you have a great evening, and I hope you enjoy talking to me, and I enjoy right. talking to you, of course. Very much, very much. Perfect. Uh, have a great evening, Natasha. All right. Thank you so much. I look forward to uh, listening to this later. <laughs> All right. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to the Dr. Cliff podcast. I hope you found it uh, interesting. Definitely reach out to Natasha uh, at the Red Fawn Verse. I'll put her information up on the, uh, on the description of this episode. Um, as always, uh, I would love to hear some comments, um, share this podcast. Uh, if you could, please give me a five-star uh, review. The people at Spotify and Anchor uh, love those sorts of things. But most importantly, please be kind to animals. Thanks. Thanks.